this is where we are. All of this for one report, but it's a report the world needs to hear, to heed, to take to heart, to make sure that our memorials to the lost are complete and tell the full story, and that we use these efforts to fill out, and that we don't have the empty chairs and empty tables that have become the modern world. Welcome back to Lecture Me. The Abortion Worldwide Report is the first to systematically track reported abortions in 100 nations, territories, and regions from the year of authorization through 2015. The report contains over 4,900 country years of data, major findings, country abortion graphs showing the impact of the authorization, world maps, and a policy table for 196 nations. The principal authors are Robert Johnson and Thomas W. Jacobson, who compiled the data and information in the report over the last 32 and 14 years, respectively. Let's hear about their findings. Well, I have a very difficult task this morning is to kick off a report about 1.018 billion abortions worldwide over the last century. I want to thank Family Research Council, Tony Perkins and Arena for hosting this tremendous gathering on a mammoth work of history, statistics, and hopefully of understanding. I read, uh, looking through the individual data and the way you might analyze it and try to come to grips with it, and of course you immediately notice that 739 million of these human lives were lost in communist countries. Just four blocks away from where we are is the victim of communism memorial. If you haven't been there, it's worth your trip. It's an emotional place to pass by. There is a statue, a sculpture of the goddess of democracy who was erected in Tiananmen Square by brave Chinese students who in unnumbered numbers lost their lives, standing up for democracy and freedom, and I trust probably for life as well. Well, it says on the base of that statue that it's a memorial to the 100 million victims of communist persecution. After this report, there ought to be a multiplier and an amendment somewhere on that site. Having said that, we in the United States and the rest of the free world, as we understand it, do not escape without a great black mark in this report, even more so because we are free. We did a study at Family, Re uh, Family Research Council, probably inspired it, but at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, with respect to elective abortions late in pregnancy, there are seven nations worldwide that allow elective abortion after 20 weeks. Now, life begins at conception and is worthy of protection from that point on. But the truth is that we are in the company of North Korea, China, and five other nations. We did it by judicial decree. They did it by other means of decree. So we escape no black marks in this report. We also know that in, statistics like those in this report are impossible to grasp, simply impossible. The famous quotation from Stalin when he was commissar of munitions and he was uh, discussing with the commissar responsible for Ukraine where a deliberate famine had killed millions and he was reciting the statistics to Stalin. And Stalin replied, well, if only one man dies of hunger, that is a tragedy. If millions die, that's only statistics. How do we get around the fact that we are dealing with what, for many, will seem like only statistics? Well, it's very hard to put it in any frame of reference that penetrates our minds and hearts. But it would be the equivalent of one in six people. One in six people in our world today 
who are not here, who are lacunae in our friendships and in our loves, our families, in our territories, in our homes. So how do we look at it? Well, it would be one more person who should be here on this panel speaking today. If you're in the metro system, it would be that last car that doesn't come in, or the empty car. Or maybe, for those of us who wait on metro delays, it would be for the driver who didn't report to work, creating the delay. If you're a fantasy football leaguer, the top 30 rushers you might choose from, well, five of them are not there, because those five people were obliterated in the United States in the womb in recent years. If you worked at the patent office, it would be 65,000 patents not granted in 2015. What might those patents have done to improve our lives? It would be the millions worldwide who cannot find typically a spouse, almost always a wife, because of the incredible policies of destroying unborn women. It would be nine missing members of our current astronaut corps who will not be finding new worlds for us and new ways of living in the one we have. This is just one way, and I'm sure many others will come up with a way to cope with statistics that overwhelm the human mind and heart. But we cannot be overwhelmed. Certainly Thomas Jacobson here today and William Johnston, a person I've longed to meet for many years after using his Johnston archives. Uh, incredible labor, 5,000 data years. Uh, it scares me to think about it. And here we are in a public place today where you get an hour or so to explain it, but I know how much labor there was. It's kind of like a medieval manuscript translator, all of that for one book. This is where we are, all of this for one report, but it's a report the world needs to hear, to heed, to take to heart, to make sure that our memorials to the lost are complete and tell the full story and that we use these efforts to fill out and that we don't have the empty chairs at empty tables that have become the modern world. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a great honor to be here. My third uh, visit to the FRC building, I'm always very, very impressed by the professionalism, by the beauty of the building itself. This is an organization that's going places. And I want to thank uh, Mr. Thomas Jacobson and William Johnston, Dr. William Johnston, for all of the work they've done. We've already used it a lot. Even this AWR report is always already being put to work for Human Life International. So it's not just an exercise in statistics. It's a massive undertaking. And my role was primarily just not very imaginative, but to go over the information to make sure the, stati the statistical methods were properly executed and so on. And uh, I was very much impressed by the professionalism of this entire report, how it hung together, and how simply it was explained so that virtually anybody could understand it. Now, Father Shannon Bouquet and I the president of Human Life International. I'm the director of research. We just returned from Kenya and the Paris March for Life. We've been to close to 100 different countries, if you count between us, and uh, we can see the tremendous amount of use that this AWR report is going to be put to. Uh, I can give you three examples right away. The first is, especially in Africa and parts of Asia, that if someone from developed countries comes in and starts talking about virtually any topic, they're considered to be an expert. And one of the strangest lies we've ever run into over and over again is that if you legalize abortion, you'll have less abortion, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. 
But these people believe us. And they, they, uh, these legislators, especially in Africa, want to care for their people. And so many times, not only under bribery and corruption, but also under this uh, uh, false uh, idea that we want to get rid of more abortions, they go ahead and legalize it. This will put a great big, foot-long, rusty steel spike right through that lie of the population controllers right now, this AWR, AWR report. Another very useful use of the report is a little bit of extrapolation. I like to go through, look at the current population of a country, how many abortions have been committed, and then look at the percentage that has been lost, just like uh, Dr. Donovan just talked about. For some examples here, Armenia and Cuba have lost a third of their empire, entire populations to abortion. Belarus, Kazakhstan, Latvia, Romania, and Ukraine have lost half of their populations or more. And the Russian Federation, 61%, almost two-thirds of the entire country, has been lost to the maw of the ever-grinding abortion clinics out there. This is very shocking to the politicians. And if Father Bouquet and I tell them, if you accept this culture of death into your hearts, it will destroy not only the demography of your country, but also the will to live. And we see this in Eastern Europe, all over the place. And in uh, the Russian Federation, where now the uh, will to live has died off to the point where the life expectancy of a Russian baby born now is less than that in most African countries. So abortion poisons the heart and the soul of a nation. Most directly of all, the Abortion Worldwide Report will give evidence that population controllers grossly exaggerate the number of abortions in a country, either illegal or legal, because the money is not really in abortion. The money is in contraceptives and abortifacients. As uh, Bill Gates in the 2012 uh, London Family uh, Planning Summit talked about, every time you get uh, one of these 120, women, 120 million African and Asian women onto these abortifacients, these chemical methods of birth control, it makes the pharmaceutical corporations $500 every year for each woman that gets hooked on this stuff. So we're talking about $60 billion a year. This dwarfs the amount of money that's made over abortion. So what we have to do is to be able to convince these countries using this weapon here, this abortion worldwide report, to give them true and solid numbers on the number of abortions that are happening. I don't want to make uh, anyone here angry, especially the folks who have worked for so long, but I'm hoping I can convince the leaders of this project here to perhaps now start to delve in to the number of illegal abortions which are being done in each country, because this is used as probably the primary uh, emotional appeal. So many women are dying of illegal abortions, so we have to legalize it. So hopefully we can eventually start to get into that, because that will be another outstanding uh, project. Once again, I'd like to congratulate Mr. Jacobson and Dr. Johnston for an outstanding job and know that it has a lot of practical use. We're already starting to use the statistics you've come up with. And I'm very grateful myself to have that stuff available at hand. Thank you. my honor to be here, and I'm so grateful you're here too. So excellencies, distinguished diplomats, and guests, pro-life leaders, family, friends, and media representatives, thank you for coming to this historic briefing. 
Dr. William Robert Johnson and I are the authors of the Abortion Worldwide Report, which is the culmination of 33 years of work for him and 15 years of mine. He is not able to be here today, but we jointly prepared what I now present to you. First, we thank Family Research Council for hosting this event, and I also thank Human Life International and National Right to Life Committee and Regent University <laughs> uh, for um, co-sponsoring this report. Also, I want to express my deepest gratitude to the leaders and staff of these organizations and to Dr. Pat Fagan, who's also here, for their assistance, and to Tony, Arena, Chuck, and Brian for your participation, and to Father Bouquet for that excellent prayer, and to our Lord Jesus Christ, who inspired this project in us so many years ago. Regarding release and publication, we present a glimpse of our findings today, but the full report will not be published until late March or early April, after governments have an opportunity to review the policy and data information that we have systematically compiled and let us know if we've made any errors. A pre-publication edition of most of the parts of the report will be posted later today on www.globallifecampaign.com um, and that'll be the main depository for the documents related to this report. Now I gotta remember I gotta do this here. <laughs> Which way do I point this? Marcus? Oh yeah, maybe. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so during this presentation, I'm gonna first tell what happened from the time abortion was prohibited during the 1800s, followed by abortion authorizations from 1920 through 2016. Second, I'm gonna give an overview of the um, abortion data, and third, a brief examination of the impact of government policies and some of our findings. Then I'll close with some words of hope and a few of our recommendations. To begin, let's get a picture of what, um, of, of, of a time when preborn babies and pregnant mothers were safe worldwide. On this 1919 world map, the blue color represents all the existing nations and territories that we know and where abortion was banned. Okay? Abortion was not common prior to the 1800s because of the high risk of death, usually 50% to the mother. Scientific and medical advances made abortions safer for the mother and abortions began increasing. The universal response of governments was to protect life. Throughout the 1800s and to 1919, abortion was banned in every nation that had a policy. That all began to change in 1920, when the Uni Union of Soviet Socialist Republics became the first government to authorize abortion and did so on demand. That decision affected 11 other modern countries that were previously encompassed within the USSR. This graph of the USSR somewhat parallels the worldwide pattern of comparatively low abortions during the 1920s to 1940s and then 
rapidly rising abortions from the 1950s to the 1980s. I say comparatively low because abortions increased so rapidly in some parts of the USSR that by the early 1930s they exceeded one million annually. However, the USSR restricted abortion in 1936 and, and abortions dropped significantly until about the time that they reauthorized it on demand in 1955. This graph tracks the number of independent countries with authorized abortion from 1920 through 2016, distinguishing between developed and developing countries. A total of 142 nations authorized abortion, but three subsequently prohibited. That was Chile, El Salvador, and Nicaragua, and three are no more. And that was Czechoslovakia, USSR, and Yugoslavia. The peak decades for authorizations were the 1950s, 1970s, and 1980s. Currently, 136 nations have partially or fully authorized abortions and 60 nations still prohibit it. For limited reasons or on demand, 90% of developed nations have authorized abortion and 69% of developing countries. The National Policies Table in Part 3 of the report contains more detailed information than the United Nations chart you may be familiar with and differs somewhat in that ours is restricted to actual national policies. Contrast this world map with the 1919 map. This is a current policy map showing the life-protecting or abortion-permitting policies of 196 nations in 2016. The blue color indicates nations where abortion is prohibited or permitted only to save the life of the mother. Green indicates where abortion is permitted for the mother's physical or mental health, rape or incest, fetal health or honor. Yellow indicates for additional reasons of economic and social purpose reasons. And orange is for abortifacients in addition to other reasons. And red for on demand and then crimson red for on-demand and some forced abortion. Of the 54 nations in Africa, 22 still prohibit abortion, 23 permitted for limited reasons, 2 for economic and social reasons, 3 with abortifacients, and 4 on-demand. As is evident in this map, most of Africa has laws protecting pre-born children and pregnant mothers. Of the 35 nations in the Americas and Caribbean, 15, 15 still prohibit abortion, 11 permitted for limited reasons, 4 for economic and social reasons, and 5 on demand. The Americas, too, have many nations that still protect life. Of the 14 nations in Oceania, 10 still prohibit abortion, 2 permitted for limited reasons, 1 with abortifacients, and one on demand. Australia stands out because it is red, permitting abortion on demand, and New Zealand is orange because of abortifacients. But Oceania and its nations with numerous islands are barely visible, but they remain the region with the highest number of abortion or, or nations that prohibit abortion. Of the 46 nations in Europe, three still prohibit abortion, nine permit it for limited reasons, three for economic and social reasons, five with abortifacients, and 31 on demand. 
I just want to take a breather to ask you to pray for Ireland, which is right now in the midst of another crisis of, of a lot of pressure internally and externally to authorize abortion and expand their limits. Of 47 nations in Asia, 10 still prohibit abortion, 9 permit it for limited reasons, 3 for economic and social reasons, 7 with abortifacients, 16 on demand, and 2 practice forced abortion, namely China and North Korea. Asia is the bloodiest region of the world. But there are countries like the Philippines that continue to stand firmly against killing their own posterity. Now we're going to shift and we're going to look at abortion data. In this report, we have compiled 4,915 country years of data for 82 nations and 18 territories. 3,596 of these country years are actual reported data, and 1,319 are estimated mostly by us, the authors. Our data sources were primarily government-reported figures directly reported by governments or by intergovernment organizations and from peer-reviewed publications. I'll just take a moment and uh, here mention our methodologies. For the 1,319 country years of missing data, we created three categories. So one was for missing data at the beginning, so from the year of authorization to the first reported data. The second was missing data uh, that was intermediate or between reported country years of data, and the third was the most recent year of reported data to 2015. For the three categories of missing data, our estimates are anchored to reported data at one end or the other or both ends. Okay? We developed one or two methodologies for each of these three categories, which would take precious time to describe, but which are thoroughly explained in part four of the report. This world map shows the global coverage of countries within the report. For four of these groups of countries, so all the developed countries plus Eastern Europe and the former Soviet republics, over 99% of the population are covered in countries in this report. For developing countries, current or former communist, 87% of the population is covered. Only for the non-communist, the rest of the developing countries, um, they're, they're the ones who are not well covered, which is 38% in the report. But most of those countries are countries that prohibit or highly restrict abortion. So remember the blue and green countries in Africa, Americas, Oceania, and a number in Asia. Thus, most of the world that authorized abortion is in the report. This world graph tracks abortions from 1921 through 2015. The general trend for the 1920s to 1940s, as I mentioned earlier, was comparatively low abortions. The people in most countries during this period were slow to accept the idea of killing their own children. But from the 1950s forward, abortion in most countries increased more rapidly after authorizations. Total known abortions worldwide peaked in 1983 and then again in the early 1990s and then declined dramatically. To describe it in the number levels represented in this graph, total abortions for the entire decade of the 1920s were 2.2 million. And during the 1930s, a total of 8.6 
million, mostly in the USSR, for those two decades. During the 1940s, abortions dropped during World War II to 3.6 million for the whole decade. But then, in the 1950s, abortions skyrocketed to 37.4 million for the decade, and from there to the global peak of over 244 million in the 1980s. That's for the whole decade. The annual peaks in 1983 and early 1990s were 27.5 million annually. Then immediately after the collapse of, the, of Soviet communism, worldwide abortions declined to the present. In 2014, known cumulative abortions worldwide from 1921 to 2014 exceeded 1 billion. By the end of 2015, we tabulate 1 billion, 18 million total cumulative abortions. Because this has been the systematic targeting of a specific people group, babies in the womb, we call this the greatest genocide. Current worldwide known abortions are 12.5 million per year. For, for approximate comparisons, Globally, every two hours is equivalent to the September 11, 2001 terrorist attack on New York City. Just for Americans, every 27 hours, the same number of babies are aborted in the United States as people died in the 9-11 tragedy. Globally again, every week is equivalent to the Algerian Civil War. Every month is equivalent to the war deaths in the Korean War, and every six months is equivalent to the Holocaust during World War II. Another alarming fact is that total worldwide known abortions far exceed the deaths from all wars and democides during the last century. Democides are deaths by governments, either against other nations or their own people, and this term was created by Professor Rummel. This graph compares World War One, World Wars One and Two, and total democides for the 1900s to total abortions from shortly after World War One. Abortion is a tragedy much greater than all the wars and democides combined. Even with our conservative accounting, more than 34,000 babies are murdered every day by abortion worldwide, which is, a high, which is a higher number or a higher daily average than deaths during World War II, which was 25,000. It is time to end this genocide and become peoples and nations again who highly cherish and protect innocent human life, pre-born and born, girls and boys, pregnant mothers, and every person until natural death. It is time to change course from being death-loving cultures to life-giving cultures. Now for the, I'm going to give you two of the top ten nation lists. The table on the left lists the top ten abortion nations in terms of known cumulative abortions to date. The top three are China with 383 million abortions, Russia with 216 million, and the United States with 58 million. The table on the right 
lists the top 10 nations after comparing total known cumulative abortions to current population. Um, Dr. Close um, said this in a different way, but Russia has aborted the equivalent of 152% of their current population. Latvia and Estonia, 123%, and Ukraine, 114%. This world graph uh, provides a visual of the data in the sacred accounting tables and, and the apportionment of abortions among individual nations and groups of nations. China abortions are represented by yellow, the, fall, the former USSR by orange up to 1991, and then Russia and the former Soviet republics by medium and light blue, respectively, following the USSR collapse in 1991, and the United States by dark blue at the bottom. The majority of abortions, which um, Chuck already noted, were committed in communist countries. Since 1921, 73% of all known abortions worldwide, or 739 million, have been performed in communist nations. This pertains only to abortions for the years the nations were under communist rule. The first country in the world to authorize abortion was the first communist country, the USSR. The communist ideology rejects the existence of God and the sanctity of human life and has historically greatly devaluated human, individual human life. After the fall of communism, Eastern Europe and former Soviet republics have seen a 70 to 90% drop in abortions. Now this may surprise you, but the second largest group of nations um, are or are supposedly majority Christian nations, and their people have aborted 131 million of their own children. That's 13% of all known abortions worldwide. Yet in, in intentionally shedding the innocent blood of children, including prior to birth, is directly contrary to the Bible and Judeo-Christian faith. Abortion is also been authorized and embraced in countries of other religious backgrounds, Jewish, Islamic, Hindu, Buddhist, and a mixture of a combination of various religions. <laughs> Total known reported abortions for these nations is 148 million, or 14 percent, of, the glo of global abortions. These countries include India, Japan, Republic of Korea, Russia, after the fall of the USSR, and Vietnam. To understand the current rates of induced abortion, this world map shows the percent of pregnancies aborted. The United States is at 19% of pregnancies, which is colored tan. Canada at 21% and China at just under 30%, both colored orange. Russia at 32% colored red and Greenland at 52% colored crimson red. In May 2016, Guttmacher Institute and World Health Organization came out with a study claiming there were 56.4 million abortions annually, more than four times what we've been able to tabulate in this report. The world map on the top is the one showing the percentages of abortions by countries that we calculated from our research. The lower map shows the percentages for the GI WHO study. So is South America aborting children at the same rate as China 
and Russia. Our African nations, where abortion is also prohibited or highly restricted, aborting children at the same rate as Australia, where it's authorized on demand. Dr. Koch from Chile carefully studied the methodologies utilized by GI and WHO and discredited both their methodologies and their results. We concur with Dr. Koch and find their results implausible. The AWR database covers most of the populations of the nations where abortion has been authorized. Currently, the majority of abortions occur in four nations, China, United States, Russia, and India. China is aborting 7.4 million of their children each year, and the other three countries less than a million each year. For there to be an additional 44 million abortions per year worldwide, Africa, Central and South America, and perhaps the entire world would have to be aborting their children at the same high levels as China. Now let's move to the third part of the presentation and show the impact of national policies. China. China reported 1,600 abortions in 1956, authorized abortion in 1957, then increased access in 1962. By 1963, China reported 400,000 abortions, and they skyrocketed again to 1.8 million by 1965 and 3.9 million in 1971. Then China implemented the egregious and oppressive one-child policy in 1979, and abortions dramatically increased to 7.9 million that year and escalated to their highest peak of 14.4 million annually by 1983. Yet for some years, which it should be clear by the graph, it seems clear to us that China is underreporting, but we don't know by how much. The abortion policies of the Chinese government have had devastating impacts on countless Chinese women, men, and children, and on the entire nation. Slaughtering 383 million of their own children is equivalent to more than six World War II's or the entire populations of Canada and the United States. I'll give you another example of the impact of government policies. Abortions were very low in the United States until multiple states authorized the practice, most for limited reasons. Then in 1973, abortion was authorized by the remaining states after an arbitrary U.S. Supreme Court decision. Abortions escalated to peak levels of 1.5 to 1.6 million annually within seven years. The 58 million children Americans have killed is equivalent to the massive death toll of World War II. South Africa is another striking example of policy impacts. Abortion was first authorized in 1975 for limited reason, and reported abortions stayed low. Then, in 1996, the South African government authorized abortion on demand, and abortions increased rapidly to peak levels and have stayed high. Let's look at another aspect of patterns after authorization. This graph shows a test we ran on each region of nations. In this case, developing nations... Eight maintained high abortion levels after the peak, while nine dropped significantly, 30 to 70 percent, over the next several decades. Notice that both subgroups here, on average, have the same rapid initial rise, 
just like China, the United States, and South Africa, after abortion is authorized on demand. This exemplifies one of our findings that when a government authorizes abortion, abortions often increase rapidly to near-peak levels within 5 to 25 years, but it's usually 12 years or less. Another finding is that the pace of the initial rise is not a predictor of whether abortions stay high or drop. The full analysis of the empirical findings from this study are in part seven of the report, which will soon be posted. A summary of all of our findings is in part eight, which is in your folders for those of you present here and will be posted this afternoon. Also in part seven, we identify 18 general findings from abortion policies and data and mention a few here. Once a government authorizes abortion, it never becomes rare unless they again prohibit or highly restrict it. Poland restricted abortion in 1990, again in 1993, and reported abortions dropped to very low levels. Advocates of abortion claim that there are large numbers of illegal or out-of-country abortions in a country like Poland. These claims are not supported by evidence. What data there is on abortions by non-residents in neighboring countries indicates small numbers and maternal mortality and similar hints of illegal abortions have not risen. This again is an, is, is an example of how government policies, including both laws themselves and the level of enforcement, profoundly affect the level of abortion. For a final look at policies, I do have some good news. Okay? There are 60 nations that still prohibit abortion. Most of them are majority Christian populations. There are also three uh, mixed Christian and Muslim nations, 12 majority Muslim, and three majority Buddhist. I present this slide as a vision for the future. It may take many years, perhaps generations, to restore protection of preborn children and pregnant women in every nation. That is the direction we should be moving. The womb of a woman should be the safest place for a developing baby, not the most dangerous. <clears throat> so what do we do? <laughs> it seems to me that we have three major areas upon which we should focus from this time forward. First, that abortion is the greatest genocide in history and must come to an end. Second, that government policies have extraordinary impacts on nations, children, women, family, demographics, and much more. And third, I'm going to add this, that nations like individuals are accountable to God. So I see wisdom in two statements made by two former heads of state. On the wall of the Jefferson Memorial, not far from here, are his words where he spoke, God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? In a similar way, we now in this generation should ask ourselves, can our nations be secure or can we expect the blessing of the Almighty? 
if we have and continue to murder millions of our children. Former President Abraham Lincoln, whose memorial is also not far from here, understood truths that we seem to have forgotten and that if we heed should also give us hope. Whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. We know that by his divine law, like nations, like individuals, are subjected to punishments and, and chastisements in this world. But we have forgotten God. The reality is that abortion is the greatest genocide in history. And the innocent blood of more than one billion babies is crying out to the ground, from the ground to the Lord God, their creator and ours. We were made to be better than this. <laughs> we were made to cherish life and not to destroy it. God himself cares deeply about this matter and wants us, his people, to care deeply about this. I think our best response would be to follow Lincoln's counsel, humble ourselves and confess this great sin in any way that we have participated or encouraged or facilitated it, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon. Lincoln was simply following the example of Jesus, who began his earthly ministry calling people to repentance. For what purpose? that they might receive forgiveness and grace. One month ago today, we celebrated his birth. He came to shed his blood to atone for our sin, including the sin of abortion. Before I close, I want to mention that in part eight, we have a list of specific recommendations, which is too long. It's short, but it's too long to mention all of them here. But I, I just want to say a few things here. First of all, if you represent a government where abortion is prohibited, stand your ground. Don't yield. If you represent a government who has authorized abortion, either partially or fully, change your policy. And for the rest of us, encourage you to love life, love God, cherish life from the moment of conception to natural death. Take care and compassion for girls and women in crisis pregnancies and especially for the billions of post-abortive women and men who live all around the world. I want to take a moment and just give you two more um, statements by former heads of state. Okay? They were heads of state and, let, and then let you know how you can contact us. King Solomon, okay, wisest man who ever lived, okay, said, just as you do not know the path of the wind, and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who creates all things. His father, King David, said, Thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So Dr. Johnson and I approach this research from a Judeo-Christian understanding of the sanctity of human life as created in the image of God, and that he is involved in the formation of every child in the womb. The research, our research has been conducted by carefully tracking reported data and only using well-bounded estimates based on reported data. We use no speculative estimates and acknowledge that unreported and most illegal abortions are not accounted for in the report. The report will be posted on www.globallifecampaign.com. Supporting data, working papers, and other material will be posted on the GLC website and on Johnston's Archives. Or jo it's johnstonsarchive.net, with an S after Johnston. You may contact us by email at info at globallifecampaign.com. Today we have Connor Semmelsberger, Legislative Assistant for Family Research Council. Connor works on legislative issues around life, healthcare, and bioethics. Connor, thanks for joining us. It's great to be on with you, Matthew. It's a pleasure to have you. One thing I thought was interesting right out the gate was that the Baltic states, when you look at the highest levels for abortion, all the Baltic states are basically in there, even after the collapse of communism in the USSR. But even what's even more interesting after that was that they said the second largest group, because that was the largest group, that the second largest group of nations who are aborting babies are Christian majority, mm -hmm. right? What do you think about that? That is a, a tough one, you know? You'd think these Christian countries, right, with the, the morals behind their Christian faith would find abortion apprehensible, but based on this report, that's not the case. Like, uh, the, the report showed 70, 73% of abortions since they've been tracking have happened under communist rule. Second highest, 13% of abortions have happened in c Christian majority countries. And when you kind of start to peel that back, you realize that you know, just over the past several decades, you know, since the 1950s where abortion laws really started to take off, Christian countries were s some of the first to adopt these liberal abortion policies. And it just goes to show that when you don't follow your faith out in public life, whenever you don't follow your faith to the ballot box, when, when you're not following your faith in implementing laws, even tragic things like liberalized abortion can happen under, under Christian, Christian countries. Right. And so, yeah, it's just a sad fact that we're, we're, not wa we're not walking the walk, you know, yeah. only talking the talk about what, you know, the, the wrongs of abortion, but we really got to implement that in our laws and policies. Yeah. That, well, one of the other things they'd mentioned was about that whole overpopulation issue, uh, you know, the way they use these excuses, and it made me think how a lot of what they're doing on the other side is they, they frame the child itself or the baby as being a liability and not an asset. And that was what was good was Chuck Donovan. I remember he was one really sort of uh, emotional point he made that was really powerful was mentioning how many patents were lost in a year at the patent office. It was some, it was like tens of thousands mm -hmm. of patents. And he's like, imagine how much uh, our lives could have been improved from all those thousands of patents of like what could have come out of that, right? As a, as a good example. So I thought that that emotional appeal 
was really good. Speaking of which, going into Poland, Poland was really interesting. Um, and there was someone in the Q&A who asked about this because there, there was a big shift in what year. We were looking at this when we were talking about this earlier, and, and you could see it in the report on the graph. It was the year, so in 1979, there were over 220,000. And then the next year it dropped by how much was that? Because it was to- uh, Yeah, close to 100,000 Close to 100,000 drops. So if you look at it on the graph, it looks like it's over a third. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe almost half. And, and the other funny thing about that was that there was no law that had changed that, right? So it was like a cultural shift and that the law was changed afterwards. So- mm -hmm. I know you had you had some interesting findings about that also. With yeah, I love the, the polling graph. If we could just have that, I mean, it is just so striking how this exactly works, the pro-life movement, you know, culture shifting and then a policy change after. And what happened in 1979 was, you know, newly elected Pope John Paul II, first pope from Poland, his next year after being elected pope goes back to Poland, give, you know, comes back to his home country, gives, you know, just a message to his people to come back to their faith and... Uh, part of that was living it out, you know, living out in, the, in their, their lives, having been in, in communist rule for so long. This was just a, a breath of fresh air. And the lives of the people changed so dramatically that, like you said, without a, a law change, close to a, a drop of 100,000 abortions in a year, just from, you know, the, the people of Poland coming back to their faith, living it out right. from the direction right. uh, of the, you know, their, their beloved Pope John Paul II right. now. So it was just so amazing that you know, to kind of bring it back here to the United States, we're working in the pro-life movement so much, we're having a struggle to push long-standing laws, but I think it just goes to show that even our numbers are declining, that, you know, as that culture behind the pro-life movement changes, and, you know, we get towards the idea of loving them both, right? Like you said, you know, showing the humanity of the child and the mother, the more we can get back to that, that that culture shift can, can really make a mm -hmm. difference. And then in Poland, yeah, you know, years later, you know, 89 was their first big law change. And then again in 93, that dropped their abortions down to only a few hundred a year. So like you yeah. said, a peak of over 200,000, a big jump from the culture shift in 79 from the Pope's direction. And then again, with the law change, you're down to a few hundred abortions a year in a country that one time had its peaks under communist rule quite well, outstanding. Well, what was interesting about that was that when you looked at Jacobson had, he spe he noted this specifically when you, mm -hmm. um, in there, uh, although this was in the Q&A, so it wasn't earlier in what we were listening to, that the policy, when asked about um, these shifts outside of the laws themselves, he says, well, policy, you have to have a big sweeping policy that, that makes that change. We specifically see here that there wasn't a policy change until after the abortions dropped. So I think they all sort of agreed about their needs. And Chuck Donovan even says this too: is like you attack from all fronts, right? It's culture, mm -hmm. politics, and attacking these both things, both of these things. But we, it, it seems sort of apparent from that graph that the politics was definitely downstream from the culture mm -hmm. in that instance, and not very far either, right? It was, it was the year because what was it? It was seventy nine. And yeah, so in 1980 was when it dropped by 100,000. And then the year after that was where the law changed. So that was yeah. really quick. Another thing that was interesting was um, did the Guttmacher Institute, they say it was Guttmacher, and I think along with yeah, somebody World else. Health Organization, actually. Right, that <laughs> yeah. it was, that they, they reported four times as many abortions than this report itself. And um, we were talking about that earlier, how, how that discrepancy happened. What do you think that was, uh, that was from? 
Yeah, and, and Jacobson, he, he goes into detail on this, but I think it's just a great point to hit. So they, they come out to find in this the abortion worldwide report about 12.5 million abortions a year. That's the estimate. And, you know, right. they're getting data, country-specific data. These guys do such a great job to gather this data together. Really good reports to find that that's the number they settled on. Mm-hmm. Guttmacher works with World Health Organization. They come out with a report saying four times as much, 56.4 million a year. So, you know, if a few million off, even 10 million, that's one thing. But four times as much, what's the deal here? Right. And so, you know, he goes to show right off the bat, it was actually a Chilean researcher that figured this out. And he says, here I am in Latin America and South America, where, you know, it's a region that has more restrictive abortion policies than us here in the, you know, North America as well as Europe. And yet the Guttmacher report was showing us in Latin America are aborting at the same rate as China, who has a one-child policy under yeah. communist rule, and says something's, something's fishy here. And so Yeah, I remember seeing that in the top 10. The U.S. was the only country in the top 10 that was a Western nation mm-hmm. that, where, that was, where that was going on. But I digress. Yeah, you're right that how can these countries that do have some pretty strong restrictions be aborting this high? And so yeah. he quickly debunked that to be true. And it just goes to show Guttmacher Institute, you know, again, a research arm of Planned Parenthood pushing the abortion agenda. You know, they would love to make this seem like a worldwide normalized thing. And it's something they they need to show how worldwide and how spread abortion is. They need that, of course, working with World Health Organization to show there should be an international right to abortion, something we're fighting this very day in the international space to ensure that that doesn't happen because a country like Poland with restrictive policies, or if it ever happens here in the U.S., would be seen as human rights abusers if you have pro-life policies. So this is just kind of their general narrative. They have to show this worldwide effort of why abortion is so good, how it happens all the time. And so it's not too surprising that those numbers were so conflated. Right. Uh, Chuck Donovan mentioned how one of the one of the things that's not been utilized that's so powerful in the U.S. to change this across the world was is the State Department. He mentioned that. And what's funny is this happened, this was late January 2017. So this was like right after Trump was sworn in, sworn in right? Mm-hmm. This was like probably yeah. weeks after. And it was funny because Chuck said, you know, now's the time. Get in there. We got it. You know, why do you think that the State Department f- sort of flew under the radar? Because at the time, I, I wasn't aware that was a powerful tool. What, what is it that makes that so powerful to change this? Yeah, I mean, it's State Department, United Nations. I mean, the whole organization, the, the, the bodies that are lobbying there, it's, it's France, it's England, all these pro-abortion mm-hmm. countries that just want this put on everywhere else in the world. And yeah, our State Department has been complicit that for a long time. You know, we've heard stories of, you know, direct reps are our United States representatives, whether ambassadors, whoever, people below them, going to countries and pretty much giving them a strong arm that, you know, if you want our funding, you know, you're not going to you're not going to say anything about pro-life policies at the U.N. You're not going to talk about how good it is in Poland that, you know, your country restricts abortion. You're going to keep quiet. And, you know, we our State Department, others, officials have been complicit in that. So this kind of whole, you know, top-down administration shift in, in mindset has been so important these last few years under mm-hmm. Trump with Secretary Pompeo over there at state, people underneath him. It's just, it's so necessary because we have a, a lot of political power in the world. And so what mm-hmm. our reps say, countries like to fall in line. So if we can start to shift that language and shift our representation around the globe, mm-hmm. we could start to see some other countries fall, fall suit of what's happening here yeah. with our yeah. administration. Yeah, absolutely. So going to, you know, we cover all the the power in the politics, but the power in the culture, right? One of the things um, that I think they maybe touched on briefly is this personhood argument that um, 
I mean, people are even starting to admit, I've, I've spoken with people who they admit they don't actually value human life inherently, right? They value it contingent on the personhood, right? That they have characteristics or that, that something, even not a human, it exhibits the sort of characteristic that's sort of common with what you think of in, a, in another human, like an adult um, and that sort of thing. What do you make of this personhood argument that's sort of seeping in more and more that's separating the reality of the dignity of human life itself versus, you know, these sort of subjective determinations and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's something we, you know, we're actually been seeing for a long time, right, that a person is somebody that's only valuable, that produces for an economy or produces right. for a country, right? So this, this person's only valuable insofar that they, they value everybody else, their work or their, you know, their actions, the things they do versus just having inherent dignity for being a human. And I think he, Jacobson put it perfectly, you know, when talking about, uh, touching on this topic, that if you take genocide as, as, you know, a targeted attacks against a group of people, by the numbers, as we're seeing in this report, that the greatest genocide in, in human history in this globe is abortion. You know, far greater than, you know, many of the wars, far greater than, you know, you look at statistics for, for fatalities and terrorist attacks. This just surpasses it. One billion babies since they've been taking crack, track of this. And so mm-hmm. how can you not see this greatest genocide of a group of people, which we know to be, you know, children in the womb, the unborn, knowing that that indignity lies at conception when they're in the womb, not after they're born and already, you know, producing for society. All right. Connor, thank you for joining us. That was really riveting discussion. Abortion Worldwide Report, one century, 100 nations, 1 billion babies. You can go look more into this at globallifecampaign.com. Thanks for joining us.